and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Um, today, as we step into this fifth year as a community, I want to revisit a phrase that has been our theme here in 2022, a phrase that you've heard a lot of today. We've sang it out for uh, the last couple of moments. I want to look at these two words once again, by faith, by faith. Uh, that phrase, it comes from what many theologians call the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a genealogy, a collection of names, men and women who accomplished great things in history past in the Old Testament because of their faith. And each of their stories starts out with these two words, by faith. Uh, By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice to God. By faith, Enoch was taken into heaven before he tasted death. By by faith, Noah built a boat. By faith, Abraham went to a city that he did not know of. He just went when God told him to go. And on and on the stories go. By faith, by faith, by faith. Uh, But as we went into a series titled as such at the beginning of this year, I started with a sermon at the beginning of January uh, called Fill in the Blank. And I posed this question to our community said, if those two words were to precede your life by faith, what would be written in the blank space following? What could be said of your life? Because ultimately, God did not just call a bunch of men and women in history past to live great legacies of faith. He called all of us to live lives by faith, to live by faith and not by sight. So how would you fill in that blank? What could be said of you? Could could it be said that you stepped out of the boat that you took the risks, that you prayed for the impossible, that you accomplished some things before you tasted death that only could have been accomplished by faith? Or would it be said of us that we lived safe, predictable, careful, comfortable, faithless lives? And as we approached this anniversary service, as we approached the last quarter of the year, that, that question began to haunt me all over again like it did at the beginning of this year. I began to ask myself, what have we as a community truly accomplished this year by faith? What what boats have we stepped out of? What impossible things have we prayed for? What risks have we taken? If, If the Father's house ceased to exist at the end of this year on December 31st, what would be written on our epitaph? What would our blank space read? And and while I am incredibly grateful for the things that we have seen, all that we celebrated a few moments ago, we've seen a few miracles this year. We've stepped out of a few boats this year. As I mentioned a moment ago, we gave $100,000 to another church in our community. We have made some, some strides in faith. I could not shake the thought that there was still so much more God wanted to do in this community. And not in history future, but now. That, that now is a season for us to step into some things, even in the next three months before the conclusion of this year, where we begin to live with a greater measure of faith and we begin to see things that only faith can unlock. And, and so based on that conviction and in talking and praying with our team, we've made a decision. And that decision is to end this year the same way we started it. We are gonna go back into the same series we started this year out with. We're gonna call it once again for the next three months, By Faith but we're calling it by faith, the sequel, (laughs) the sequel. And I believe it's going to be even greater than the original, not like Jurassic Park sequel status where like the original is so much better than all the new ones, but like Top Gun sequel. All right, come on. That new Top Gun was so much better than the original one. Some of you don't agree. That's fine. But here's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. 
We're gonna be opening up the altars at the conclusion of our services and we're gonna pray for miracles like we've never prayed before. We're gonna believe for breakthrough and freedom and things that we have not yet seen. Here's what I know to be true. There are more people that need to come to know Jesus in this community. There are more names in this box that have not yet bowed their knee and confessed Jesus as Lord. There is more freedom, there is more hope, there is more healing, there are more miracles. Our God is an everlasting source. And if there's more, I wanna step into that. But although the heart of this series is gonna remain the same, uh, the content is gonna look a little bit different because we are not gonna be looking back at Hebrews chapter 11 this time. Instead, we're going to be using our own anthem as the foundation for this series. We're gonna be using the song we sang a moment ago and the scriptures that are represented in its lyrics as the launching pad to discuss what it looks like to live lives of faith like those mentioned in the song. So if you have not yet downloaded that, I want to encourage you, download it, get it on your phone, get it in your car. If you do not know how to download music, find someone younger than you and they will teach you how to download music. Maybe they'll burn you a CD or make you a tape or if for the right price, I would even make you a record. All right. If you gave a significant enough offering to the father's house, we will give you a record if need be, but whatever we got to do, we want to get that song into our spirits. Uh, today, as we start out this sequel series, I want to look at some of the lines from the opening of the song where our good friend, Justin, in his sultry, soulful voice sings this. It was by faith, a blind man cried for mercy and you gave sight. A woman touched your robe and found new life. We remember what you've done and we lift you high. For the next couple of moments, I wanna look at the story of a woman. This is a story of a girl. A story of a woman who reached out and grabbed the hem of Jesus's garment. And I wanna ask a question. How can our faith look like hers? Uh, for that, I want to go to the New Testament, and we're going to look at two different Gospels here, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. Her story is recorded in three of the Gospel writers' accounts. Um, however, the details are kind of spattered in between all three of those stories, so I kind of merged two so that we had all of the details to unpack together. So a lot of Scripture we're going to read, but come with me to the word Mark chapter 5. Uh, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in that crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd only gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around to the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, uh, Jesus, look at the crowd around you. There's like heck of people here. How can you ask who touched me? But Jesus said, no, 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 someone deliberately touched me for I fe felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. 
Now, I wanna stop the story there today, although it opened up with a man named Jarius and his daughter. But as I mentioned, I, I wanna focus in on this woman's story this morning. Next week, we will unpack the remainder of this story and look at what took place with Jarius and his daughter and talk about atmospheres of faith. But for today, I wanna to look at this woman who somehow was able to arrest the attention of Jesus and stop the procession to a sick girl's home because of her faith. And I want us to consider how we can do the same. Uh, for those taking notes, I wanna call this chat this morning, Here Comes the Robe. Here Comes the Robe. Let me, let me pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to speak to us over these next few moments. We thank you, God, for all that we've seen over the last four years in this community. Every statistic, every name, every story, all of it for your glory today. And uh, as we step into this fifth year, I pray right now that there would be a spirit of faith that arises in the Father's house to believe for things that maybe we've even set on the shelf and said, this is no longer something I can pray for. God, would you awaken great faith in this community as we move into all you have for our future. We love you today and we pray this in Jesus' name. And the Father's house said, amen, amen. So I would imagine that many of us in the room have probably read this story before. If you've got any church history, you've probably read this account of this woman. But even if you've never read it before, it might even be familiar to even more of us in the room because it is one of the more famous miracles of Jesus. Uh, pastors have preached about it. Books have been written about it as evidenced in our own song. She's been memorialized in, in music. She's a very familiar character in the scriptural text. But we need to be careful when we become really familiar with scripture because sometimes in our familiarity, we can miss things. We, we can assume, oh, I've read that before. I've heard it all before. I know all there is to know. I've mined all the truth there is to mine from this text, but miss something so significant. And if I'm being honest, that was my story this last week. As I sat down to study this text, I had a direction in mind for this morning because I'd read this story before. I'd studied it out before. I'd even preached about it in the past. And I thought I knew where I wanted to go. But as I was praying and studying, the Holy Spirit revealed something to me that I have never seen in this story before. And it completely changed the way I've seen the text. It was simple, so simple that I missed it for years. But I don't think I can read the story the same now that I've seen this. And for those who are taking notes, here's what I felt the Holy Spirit revealed to me. God's power is available to everyone. Now, I know how simple that sounds. I know that I might've just lost some street cred with the more mature believers in the room. You're like, yo, you didn't know that, Tim? Uh, you, seriously, you didn't know? I mean, we all know that. You, you know the Bible, right? Right? You know the Bible. <laughs> you are the pastor. Man, I was starting to like this church. I was thinking we were gonna call this place home. They got donut holes out front. They got coffee out there. I was even willing to put up with this guy's incessant need to show his ankles on stage. But he doesn't even know that God's power is available. I can't, I can't come to this church. I get it. I know how rudimentary that truth sounds. But let me explain why that rudimentary truth was incredibly revelatory to me this week. If you study through the miracles of Jesus, if you study through the New Testament, here's what you'll find. They follow a pattern of petition. Generally speaking, when somebody wants to be healed or they need a miracle, they come to Jesus and they request it. Or someone comes on their behalf and they request a miracle of Jesus. The blind man called out from the side of the road. The lepers called out from outside the town. Jairus, who we're gonna study next week, he came on behalf of his daughter and he petitioned Jesus, excuse me, for healing. 
Even the, the man at the pool of Bethesda who was lame, Jesus made him voice his need before he was healed. He said, what do you want me to do? And then the man told him, I want to be healed. Time and time again, you see this pattern of petition. But not here, not in this story. In this story, Jesus does not seem to be aware of this woman's need. In fact, he doesn't even seem to be aware of the fact that she's in the crowd. It isn't until she presses her way through and touches his robe that suddenly power leaves from Jesus. He stops the procession and he says, who just touched me? I felt healing virtue go out from me. It's like this chick stole a miracle. <laughs> she like pickpocketed Jesus for the supernatural. It's like, I'll take that. Thank you very much. It's like downtown San Francisco. This story could have taken place in downtown San Francisco on Muni. It's odd, right? You're like, I, I, there, there's no other story that looks like this in the New Testament. It's peculiar. But the peculiarity of this story, I believe, reveals a truth to us that we cannot afford to miss. It's simple, but it's powerful. And I stated it a moment ago. God's power was available to everybody. Meaning, anybody in that crowd could have experienced what this woman experienced that day. Jesus was not on a mission to find her. He, he didn't come to the city of Capernaum so that he could meet this woman. She didn't petition him. She didn't send anyone. No, it seems that his power was radiating from him. And anyone with enough faith in that crowd to draw from his virtue could have put a demand on his anointing. Anybody could have experienced what she did, but they didn't. It was available to everyone, but only she received. It reminds me of, of a phrase I heard years ago. I was in a, a worship gathering, and uh, we were singing some delirious songs. Some of y'all are old enough to remember delirious in the body of Christ. Rain down all around the world, we're singing. And in that song, there's a, a bridge. We start singing, open up the heavens, open up the heavens. And I remember as, as we were singing that line, a pastor came up onto the stage and he interrupted the worship service and he said, I feel like I got a word from God. And, and he said, I feel like God is saying, I hear you singing, open up the heavens, open up the heavens, open up the heavens. But I'm here to tell you that the heavens are already open. I'm singing back over you, will you open up the earth? And here in this story, heaven is right there in the crowd. Heaven is walking among them in human flesh. The power of God is available to all, but only one woman had the faith to open up the earth. And it makes me ask this question. I wonder how many other people in that, that crowd needed a touch from heaven that day. I wonder how many people in that crowd needed the power that this woman experienced. I wonder how many people were sick and in need of healing, were bound and in need of freedom, were guilty and ashamed, but needed the forgiveness that only Jesus could offer, that needed joy, that needed peace. I wonder how many other people were in the same condition as this woman, but they didn't receive it. In fact, let me personalize it and take it a step further because we are here today in another Jesus crowd, aren't we? I can't help but wonder how many people sitting in here today need what heaven has to offer? How many of us need the power and the virtue that flowed from Jesus that day? How many of us need freedom and healing in our bodies and peace and joy and forgiveness and grace? I wonder how many of us need what she received. 
But if we are going to experience her reality, we need to embrace her approach to Jesus. And the way I see it, this woman had two things that nobody else in this crowd had that day. Two things that allowed her to draw down on the anointing of Jesus. And here they are. She had desperation and determination. Can you say those words with me? Desperation and determination. If I could choose two words to describe the kind of community I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting us to become as we step into year five, it is a desperate community and a determined community. I think if we'll become desperate and determined, we will experience what this woman experienced. Let's unpack those two words a little bit. Start with desperate. Uh, Mark chapter five, look at the state of this woman before she received her healing. It says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she spent everything she had to pay them, but she had not gotten any better. In fact, she had only gotten worse. So, so, so Mark gives us here a brief look at this woman's suffering, her 12-year stint of suffering. He says that she suffered with constant pain in her body for 12 years as a result of her blood condition. But her suffering goes on because it says that she's also suffered at the hands of doctors, poking, prodding, doing whatever they can to try to figure out how to resolve her condition, only they couldn't fix it. She only gets worse as the years go on. She's been suffering at their hands, suffering with her own pain. But to truly catch a glimpse of her suffering, we need to take a deeper look into the cultural context of this story because her suffering was not primarily physical or financial, it was cultural. In Jewish law at this time, anyone in this woman's condition would have been considered unclean. In fact, anybody who came into contact with her or anything that came into contact with her would have also been considered unclean. And when you were in an unclean state, you were no longer allowed to integrate with society. Someone in this condition would have been quarantined to a room in their home where they ate, where they survived, where they slept, and they would not be allowed to interact with the rest of society. So you can imagine the isolation this woman has felt for 12 years. You can imagine wondering every single day, is today the day that I wake up and I get to, I get to hug my kids again? Is today the day that I get to be intimate with my spouse again? Is today the day that I get to see my friends again? But for 12 years, this woman has been isolated to a room. Now, I know that sounds like a dream for some of you. The idea of like not having to like talk to anybody in society for an extended period of time, you're like, sign me up. You were like thriving in COVID. Give me DoorDash, give me some video games, and I will hang out in my, my room. That's all I want to do. And that might be a dream come true for a year or two, but after 12, that's devastating. I don't care how much you don't like people. <laughs> after 12 years, there's some scientific proof that you're gonna become depressed. You're gonna suffer with mental illness. You're gonna feel isolated, likely develop some suicidal tendencies. No one was created to be alone for 12 years. And you can imagine the devastated state of this woman. She's ashamed, she's alone, she's hopeless. But in her hopelessness, something begins to arise when she hears that Jesus is coming to town. 
The text tells us that she had heard that Jesus was coming through Capernaum. And when she hears that Jesus is coming, this desperation begins to arise on the inside of her. She'd heard that Jesus has the capacity to heal sickness. She had heard that what doctors can't fix, Jesus can. And so in her desperation, she begins to do something unthinkable. She steps out of the room she's been quarantined to for the last 12 years. She risks the rejection of her society. She risks getting other people infected with her illness. And she says, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I am desperate and I must get to Jesus. I don't know what's gonna happen when I get there, but all I know is I cannot stay in this state any longer. And so I will leave where I'm at because I must get to him. Her desperation drives her to action because that's what desperation does. Desperation drives us to action. So to that end, let me ask you a question as I do every single week. Are you desperate? Not like that. <laughs> Are you desperate? Is there something in you that says, I cannot stay where I'm at right now I must get to Jesus. Is there something in you that doesn't care what it looks like or what it costs or what risks are involved, but something in you that says, I cannot stay here, I gotta get to him. Because desperation is always accompanied by action. When you're desperate, you are not content to just come and sit through a religious service once a week without any passion or without any commitment. When you're desperate, you are not content to just open up your Bible occasionally or be spoon-fed the scriptures by a sermon every single week. You begin to devour that thing all throughout the week. When you are desperate, you don't care what anybody thinks when you lift your hands in the gathering of believers or when you begin to sing at the top of your lungs or when tears start to come down from your eyeballs even though they, you're the strong man. You don't care about those things because there's something in you that says, I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I look like. I just know I can't stay here any longer. And so my desperation is gonna drive me to action. Are you desperate? And little tip from Uncle Tim today. You do not have to wait for devastation to provoke desperation. You do not have to wait until you're sick or until there's trauma or until your world is falling apart to get desperate. No, desperation is not a condition, it's a mindset. David said in the Psalms, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for the living God. Desperation is nothing more than a revelation. I need God. That's all it is. I remember the, the first time I got desperate in my, my pursuit of Jesus. I was 19 years old. I'd spent a, a rather lengthy stint away from God. And at 19 years old, I went to a, a conference in Seattle, Washington, and I recommitted my life to Jesus. I was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and I came back on fire for God. I was reading the Bible for hours every single day. I was singing worship songs under my breath. People were looking at me sideways in the grocery store in the mall, like, why is this guy singing next to me? I just, something in me wanted to be near God. Every time the doors of the church were open, I was present. All three services Sunday morning. I was there at the youth service. I was there at the prayer service. If they would have let me, I would have come to the woman's service. I would have done whatever I needed to do to just be in the presence of God. And it wasn't like I just sat there like, wow, this is really good. All the things the pastor's saying, this is really awesome. Man, I was spinning. I was dancing. I was going nuts because I just wanted to be near Jesus. I wasn't sick. 
My life was not devastating. I wasn't in the midst of trauma or falling apart. No, there was just a hunger in my soul to be near God. I was desperate to be in his presence. So, so, so you don't have to wait till things hit the fan to get desperate. Whether you're in a good season today or a bad season today, whether things are going well for you right now or you've been confined to your bedroom for 12 years with a sickness, it does not matter. You can be desperate for God now. And desperation will put a demand on what only Jesus can offer. It releases the power of God. But the second thing this woman had, in addition to her desperation, was she had a determination. A determination. Now, I know that those two words can sound a bit synonymous. It feels like okay, desperation, determination. They, they kind of feel the same. But there is a truth about determination beneath the surface of this text in the original language that uh, I want all of us to, to, to wrap our minds around before we leave today. When, when we see this phrase that she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, there's a, there's a visual that comes along with that kind of a, a graze up against or, you know, a pat, just a brief bump into kind of an ET finger moment, you know, like power, you know, like that kind of situation. But thank you, Eric. <laughs> Somebody laughs at my jokes. Um, but that thought, that visual, it, it doesn't even begin to capture the essence of the very intentional language Mark uses here when he talks about this woman touching the hem of Jesus's robe. In the Greek, it is the word hoptomai, hoptomai, and it means to fasten oneself to, to adhere to, or to cling to. To fasten oneself to, to cling to. In other words, this was not just some casual bump up against Jesus. This was not like a touch and run away. This was a, a clinging. She gripped his garment and would not let go until she got what she needed. Now, now this is important because there were a lot of people that touched Jesus' garment that day. As we read a moment ago, the disciples almost mocked Jesus when he asked, who touched me? They're like, yo, Jesus, there's a ton of people around here. What do you mean who touched? Everybody's touching your garment. And Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me differently. It was that difference that stopped the procession. Jesus' attention was not arrested by a casual crowd member. It was arrested by a determined clinger. Second question, are you a crowd member or are you a clinger? Not clingy. Some of y'all got that on lock. But <laughs> are you a crowd member or is there something in you that just refuses to let go of Jesus? Because listen, it's easy to be a crowd member. There's a lot of crowd members in churches all across the world. It's easy to casually bump into Jesus occasionally. Oh yeah, yeah, I go to that church sometimes. I love it when um, I meet somebody in the community and they're like, oh yeah, I go to the Father's house. I'm like, oh yeah, like, what'd you think of last week? Oh, I haven't, I haven't been in a while. Oh, when was the last time you came? I think Easter. Okay, cool. So you don't come to the church. <laughs> you occasionally bump into Jesus. Oh, oh yeah, I know a few Bible verses. I got a cross tattooed on my arm. My Facebook status, it says Christian. 
I even have a Christian Mingle account. You know what it means to be a crowd member? It means to be in the proximity of Jesus, but never experience the power of Jesus. There's a lot of crowd members that day. But then there are those who cling to Jesus, who are not in it to bump into him occasionally, but say, I refuse to let go of your garment until I get what I so desperately need. Are you a crowd member? Or are you a clinger? Because let, let, me, let, me, let me give you a truth, whether you like it or not. It's going to work itself out in your life. If you're content to bump up against Jesus and be a crowd member, and you're not clinging to him, rest assured you will cling to something. You will cling to that unhealthy relationship. You will cling to that unsurrendered plan for your future. You will cling to that temporary reprieve that you find in your addiction only to feel more guilty and more ashamed when you come to, you'll cling to something. And as it was for this woman, do not be surprised when the power of that what you're clinging to manifests in your life. Yeah, you, you can cling to that relationship, but don't be surprised when the power of toxicity is released in your life. You, you can cling to that unsurrendered plan you've got for your life but don't be surprised when you're filled with unfulfillment. Don't be surprised when you're confused or when you're afraid because of that which you are clinging to. But if you will determine in your heart, I'm not clinging to anything but the hem of his robe, do not be surprised when his power and his freedom and his joy and his peace and all that your Jesus has to offer begins to flood into your life. Who are you going to be, a crowd member or a clinger? Let me tell you, I can't speak for you, but I'm not interested in being a part of a crowded church. I want to be a part of a clinging church, a church that lays hold of the promises of God and the purpose of Jesus and does not let go until we see what we know God has promised to us, until we see this city redeemed, as Isaiah 62 says, until we see the reputation of San Francisco change, until we see the names in this box come to know Jesus, until your sickness is healed, until your wayward sons or daughters are back in the house. I want to be a part of that kind of a community. But in order to do that, we must embrace these two words. Desperate and determined. Desperate and determined. I believe as we step into this next year, that is the invitation. Will we be desperate? Will we be determined? Because heaven is open. And as the title of this sermon suggests, the robe is here. Here comes the robe. Let me explain. Um, this last Tuesday, uh, we had a prayer gathering here and uh, our intercession lead, Drew, sent out an email to all of our intercessors and said, hey, meet me at the church building at seven o'clock on Tuesday. Uh, I, I believe I got a word to embrace the spirit of Joshua. And we're gonna walk around our building seven times in silence. And at the conclusion of that seventh lap, we're gonna lift our voices in worship and we're gonna sing about the victory that God's given to us. And so a bunch of us gathered here at 7 p.m. on Tuesday and we walked around the building seven times in silence. And I know that that sounds weird to some of y'all. And I'm gonna be honest, it, it was a little bit weird at the beginning. 
it was especially weird as we turned the corner and on the first lap I saw a guy waiting at the bus stop and he kind of like, like, whoa, there's a large group of people that are coming towards me right now. But that like, you know, concern turned to alarm when he saw us come back for a second pass. He's like, hey, you know, what's going on? And then a guy who's sitting in this service right now, I won't bust him out, but uh, on the seventh lap was just carrying a flag on his shoulder. And so like, yeah, we do some weird things sometimes, but how many know God just asks you to do weird things sometimes uh, in faith, trusting that he's gonna release something by his spirit. And so we did, we did what we believed God asked us to do. And it was a powerful time. But on the third lap right out here, as we turn the corner of Sloten 19th, I heard this phrase from the Holy Spirit. Here comes the robe. Here comes the robe. And as soon as I heard that phrase in my spirit, I saw a visual and I heard a scripture. And that's how I'd like to conclude this service as we step into year five with this scripture and this visual because it was, it was so impactful to me. Uh, I'll invite the worship team to come as we prepare to close. But the scripture was this, Isaiah chapter six, verse one. Prophet Isaiah writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe filled the temple. Here comes the robe. Here comes the robe. As I saw this visual, I began to picture this room. And as I pictured this room, I saw the train of Jesus's robe beginning to fill this temple. And as Jesus walked through the room, I saw it begin to brush up against people, to, to touch him on the shoulders and come near their feet. I saw him begin to walk through the aisles and just pass by. And, and as his robe began to fill this temple, I just heard Jesus simply ask, is there anyone here willing to cling? Is there anyone here who's not content to just go through the motions be a member of the crowd, but to lay hold of this garment because they know their desperate need. Is there anyone who needs healing? Is there anyone who needs freedom? Is there anyone who needs their guilt and their shame to be washed away? Is there anyone with sons and daughters that are not in the house any longer? Is there anyone with mental illness that needs peace of mind? Is there anyone who's broken that needs to be put back together? Because the robe is here. Heaven is open. The power of God is available. The question is not whether Jesus has the ability to address your need. The question is, will you reach out and cling to what's been made available to you? Will we be a church that grips his robe and refuses to let go until we see that released in our house?
And, and again, I can't speak for you. Jesus is not gonna force us. If you wanna bump into him occasionally, that's your, that's your right. You can do whatever you wanna do. But I will speak for my family and I, and I will tell you that we will not be crowd members. No, we will be those who will grip the hem of Jesus's garment and refuse to let go until we see his power released in our lives. Because listen, this is not just a story to me. This is not just some historical account that I read in scripture. This is our reality right now. We have a woman with an issue of blood in our own household. A story that many of you know, I mentioned last week that we've had ample opportunity to go toe to toe with the enemy over the last few weeks and in the last few months. And one of the battles we've been fighting for the last year is the battle for our oldest daughter's health. You might recall last year, you saw an image of it on the video, which brought me to tears when Michelle sent it to me, of my daughter on this stage at our anniversary service with her hands lifted because after her second week in the ICU with a life-threatening blood clot that shut down flow to her liver, God rescued her and spared her life. And we stood on this stage and we celebrated the fact that she was still with us. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what he's done. But I'm gonna tell you this, a year later, she's alive, but she has not been made well. That clot is still inside of her portal vein. There is still not ample blood flow. And like the woman in this story, her condition has not improved. It has only gotten worse. She's suffered at the hands of doctors being poked and prodded and scoped and scanned for a year now. And they don't know what to do. They don't know how to treat it. They don't know if they should go back to other methods or if they should try exploratory. They just do not know. So you might say that we're familiar with the plight of this woman. But let me tell you how we're gonna respond as your pastors. I'm not gonna sit down and go through motions in church and pretend like everything is okay. I am gonna get desperate, I'm gonna be determined, and I am going to cling to the robe of my Jesus until I see his power released in our lives. I'm gonna knock until my knuckles are bloody. I'm gonna ask until my voice is gone. I'm gonna believe, I don't care what doctors think or how many people mock us for our faith, I'm gonna continue to do the ridiculous until I see the power of my Jesus released in our lives. I'm gonna be a clinger. And I invite you to do the same. Because heaven is open his power is available and the robe is here for anybody who wants it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Oh. We welcome you in your house, Holy Spirit. train of your robe is filling this temple. 
Father, may we not be content to be casual crowd members that go through motions, but never see your power released. May we be those, may we be numbered among those like this woman that refused to stay where we were at, but pressed through mediocrity, pressed through awkwardness, pressed through doubt, pressed through societal rejection, and clung to your robe. As we conclude, I, I wanna pray for a very specific group of people. And that would be those who would say, Tim, I, I, I need to cling to Jesus because I don't even know that he is, he's my savior today. And what's cool about this story is the conclusion when Jesus looks at this woman and he says, go daughter, your faith has made you well. He uses a word that doesn't speak to a physical condition. He uses the word sozo. And it's a word that means you are saved. It's interesting that the greatest miracle of this story is not that Jesus stopped the bleeding of this woman, but that in one moment, because of her faith, she was saved. Her soul was redeemed. As my wife mentioned a moment ago, Robin said, the greatest miracle of all is salvation. If that's your need today, heaven is open. Will you open up your heart to receive him? If that is you, I want to pray a prayer of commitment with you. And without anybody looking around, if you say, Tim, I need to get things right with Jesus before I leave this place. I need to pray that prayer with you. Would you just quickly lift up your hand and look at me so that I can pray with you before we conclude? Got you back there. Right on, bro. Yeah, right here. Awesome. Yes, back here. Yeah. Awesome. All right, as a family, let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you. I believe you died for my sins and you resurrected to give me new life. So help me be your disciple from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. But come on, let's celebrate the greatest miracle that God has ever done, the miracle of salvation. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.